Are you ready to tap into Web3's limitless potential? Consensus 2024 is the place to learn from the biggest brands and most influential creators, forging new ways to connect with customers. Brands like Adidas, Coachella, MoMA, Rediverse Studios, Animoca Brands and more will share strategies and tips at Consensus this year. Broaden your horizons on emerging tech with all-day summits delving into the most pressing questions facing the industry today. From AI to immersive worlds, to gaming, to tokenization and everything in between. Artists, brands and tech evangelists eager to shape the internet's future will find their tribe at consensus. And listeners can use the discount code CMO Stories for 15% of their registration. See also the show notes and the podcast episode description. My story starts when I was 18. I joined the, everybody in Israel when they are 18, they need to join the, the army. So I actually I was enlisted to the special forces in Israel and I served for four years. And back in the days, I think that I had a realization that I don't want to have any commanders or any bosses. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Web3 CMO Stories Podcast Season 3, Episode 10. My name is Yuri Bilast, and I'm your podcast host. And today we are joined by Yaron Bean. He's a seasoned e-commerce entrepreneur and growth consultant, and Yaron has built a scaled numerous successful e-commerce stores. Hi, Yaron. How are you doing? Hi, Yuri. I'm very excited to be here. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. Uh, some more information about Yaron, uh, guys. Recently, and that's why I invited him, he has shifted his focus to the world of Web3 and actually has launched an NFT landing protocol, even though it didn't work out as planned. I took away valuable lessons from that experience. And today, Jeroen is applying those learnings to provide growth services to Web3 companies, to other Web3 companies. And also, I know that you like to leverage automations with Etherscan and Twitter. And I also want to talk a bit about that. But first things first, Jeroen, tell us a bit about your story from being an e-commerce entrepreneur to launching yeah, this NFT lending mm -hmm. protocol sure. and, and actually what inspired this transition. Great. Awesome. So um, my story starts when I was 18. Uh, I joined the, everybody in Israel when they are 18, they need to join the, the army. So I actually I was enlisted to the special forces in Israel and I served for four years. And back in the days, I think that I had a realization that I don't want to have any commanders or any bosses above me. This was like when I first realized this. And later on, I just started learning and studying and I wanted to become an entrepreneur and I wasn't really sure how to go about this. So I, I studied industrial engineering and then I started working in a media company in an agency in Tel Aviv. And I was spending approximately $1 million on a monthly basis on Facebook ads. Uh, but it became pretty mundane. After like three months, I realized, okay, there's no upside, no downside. It's kind of all the same. And luckily, I met a friend of mine in a bar in Tel Aviv. And he showed me uh, a screenshot from his Shopify store. And he told me that he was making money uh, doing dropshipping. And until that moment, I thought it was just like 
bullshit that gurus are selling courses, but nobody's really able to make profits from dropshipping. But he gave me like the recipe, which was back in the days seemed to work. The day after my wife and I, we built a store, we opened the Facebook ads and in the same evening, we got our first sale. And this is probably light was above my head and I realized, okay, I can make money online. And since then, we, we improved the store and we started scaling. We spent a serious amounts of money on mainly on Facebook ads. And this e-commerce business was thriving until 2020, until the iOS update happened, which uh, kind of changed the game. And we decided we don't want to continue uh, with the e-commerce game and specifically with direct-to-consumer back in the days. And I kind of was in a junction. Where do I want to go? What do I want to do? And I really started diving into the world of decentralization and capitalism and what is capitalism in opposing to what I thought was capitalism. And then I fell in love with Web3. And I spoke with friends of mine actually from the army team and they were deep into the Web3 space. And they told me about this uh, NFT protocol that is doing peer-to-peer lending. So we decided to start building this uh, competitor, basically clone NFT5. Uh, this was the, the idea. Uh, and I'm happy to elaborate about the whole process, but I, I will pause here for if you have any questions, because this is kind of in a nutshell. Yeah, no, it's interesting to see to see your background, of course. I eh? know I'm certainly interested to see how the story continues. So you started that and, and at a certain moment there were some obstacles. Everything did not go as planned. So I'm curious to hear the story. Yes, so this was actually a great learning experience looking back, you know, like every, everything that doesn't work out if you know how to leverage it in a positive manner. So I learned a lot from this project. The idea was to create a marketplace, NFT peer-to-peer lending protocol, um, like I said, and Creating a marketplace is very hard because you constantly need to try to balance the supply and demand. And most of people try to avoid this just because of the difficulty. But we saw this difficulty as an opportunity because if we could have made it, so we probably, the barrier to entry is way, way higher in opposing to what I used to do, which was dropshipping, where the barrier to entry is very low. So we had aspirations to build something big. And actually a friend of mine, he was, he came from the VC background. So we thought we would be able to raise money pretty easily. And we started doing like growth hacks in order to show traction. But when, when we wanted to raise money, the whole FTX thing happened and we realized it was very, very hard to raise money. Uh, and we kind of decided to sunset the project because the, we didn't show enough traction in order to persuade investors to put money because nobody wanted to invest in Web3 back in the, in the days. It was like a year ago, exactly when the shitstorm happened. So this is why we decided to sunset uh, this project. But from a professional perspective, it was very interesting uh, to start moving away from the world of media buying and diving into the world of Web3 and automations because media buying isn't so relevant in the Web3 game, at least uh, back in the days. Also today, it's less relevant than, uh, like, let's say, mm-hmm. direct-to-consumer stuff like this. So we had to come up with uh, innovative ideas to get customers and reach out to customers. So one of the things that we, we did, for example, we went to wallets of the competitors. We scraped uh, their Etherscan, uh, all the transactions. We sorted them out, obviously, and then we filtered out only those that had an ENS name. And then we looked for the ENS name in Twitter, uh, and then we sent a DM to all the people that had that we were able to find their ENS address, for example. Uh, so we did a lot of stuff like this, uh, growth hacking, you know, just with a lot of automations because I hate working. I like creating automations. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So this was basically the, mainly trying to automate stuff and looking for loopholes. It was the web-free marketing game. Kind of different, same principles, but kind of different. And we were trying to exploit and see how we can gain initial traction without big capital. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting strategy that you're talking about, you know, with either scan and Twitter and then finding those EN, ENS names. Uh, if people put it on their profile, which a lot of them do, of course. But did you use, because you don't like, you know, you like automation, did you use a tool for that? Or did you build a tool? Or how did you yeah, do so that, this process? Most of the things that I do today, except for like the AI and ChatGPT, Python codes, which I use very often, I, I use mainly Microsoft Power Automate uh, desktop, which is an RPA, RPA tool. Uh, RPA stands for Robotic Process Automation. And this is actually a free tool that is very, very powerful. You can basically create uh, any algorithm. You don't have to, it's a, it's a no-code tool, first of all, and you can create any automation okay. that you want. Let's say you want to record a process you're doing on a manual, ba on a daily basis. So you record the process. I mean, you start doing the process while the program is, is actually recording what you're doing. And then you see the whole process laid out in front of you. And you can start putting in like variables, conditions, stuff like this, or just leave it alone. And it, whenever you click the play button, it's going to repeat the process with your hands off the keyboard and the mouse. So this is why it's very powerful. And you can do a lot of amazing stuff with it, like scrape stuff, manipulate it in a CSV, go back to Twitter, open different, like loop through a lot of, the sky the limit, basically, as long as you know what you're doing. Right. Actually, it makes me think of macros at the time in Excel or, you know, you could, you could do the same. Is this like a software that you need to install on, on yeah, your computer so, or is it in the cloud? Yeah, so it, it's exactly like macro, but uh, it's not limited only to Excel. It's basically macro for anything that you have on your, on your desktop. This is a Microsoft Power Automate desktop with a free version that you need to download for Microsoft, and you also have a cloud version, which costs like a competitor of Zapier, but way more powerful, which costs a few bucks. It's also a no-brainer, to be honest. Okay. And so that's the way that, that, that you could do it. And those are strategies that you learned, you know, by, by experimenting, I guess, by trying to automate, which you are using today now for other projects, I imagine. Yeah. So uh, as I said, uh, I... I love doing automations because I'm a big believer in, in, in volume and velocity. Um, I'm not such a perfectionist. I just like doing a lot of stuff and seeing what happens. Uh, so this is why I think code is a magnifier of, of volume. Um, and since what I learned in this project was really doing things at scale, uh, in opposing to media buying, okay, I used to media buy, I spent like 20K per day, but this was mostly using Facebook ads or stuff like this. So it's not, not the same thing as using code for automating. Um, so since then, I've been doing also a lot of automated outreach via LinkedIn, uh, DMs using, uh, using Twitter, obviously, uh, following different, let's say we have a competitor, so we can scrape all of his uh, followers or all the people who commented on his post in Twitter we can scrape them and then make sure that we follow or like them or like the recent post on a, every five days or just, or, or create like a random uh, variable that every, between four or six days, you like their post. So it would look like as if you're like mm -hmm. a, a person, a human being. So these are a lot of things that I believe when you do a lot of them and you integrate them into a strategy, they can be impactful. 
Exactly. And that's all you did, all of that with this Microsoft tool? Uh, some, uh, some, you... some, uh, Microsoft is my fallback if I don't have a tool out of the box. Uh, because many times, okay. out of the box tools, such as, like, let's say, Texao for automation in general, or Galaxy for LinkedIn, so they are more easier to handle. You don't have such a learning curve like you have with Power Automate. But sometimes if they don't provide what you're looking for, I just go to Power Automate and do my own thing. Right. You mentioned that the timing was not so good at that moment. So the indecision was impacted by the timing. What do you think about today? Is the timing better? Uh, Would it be different, your decision? or uh... I mean, I, the timing is just an excuse. You know, uh, there is the saying. Okay. The, there is a saying in Y Combinator that most of the, the startups they don't die; they commit suicide. So the timing was a magnifier to the fact that we weren't able to do what we wanted. So you know, probably if the timing was right, it was easier to raise money, and you you don't know what would be the derivatives of that. You know, but uh, I, I believe that it's hard to like attribute the fact that we didn't succeed. To the timing so it's really hard to say you know every everybody has like different stage in life one founder was more interested in doing x one founder was do, interested in doing y so it's not necessarily the project or or the market it's a combination of a lot of things so how to give attribution okay you mentioned in the beginning mm -hmm. you know all your experience with shopify with e-commerce mm -hmm. and now of course you are here up three how do you see those things coming together, the intersection of e-commerce and web three technologies and how is it evolving? Can you comment on that? Yes, it's, it's actually very interesting to see how things unfold because I feel like since like ChatGPT uh, like has become like widely used, things are evolving way, way faster. And I see like autonomous uh, agents, stuff that I couldn't even imagine three or four year, months ago. So it's very hard to give a prediction, but I see at least um, a year ago and still today, I feel that a lot of marketers that are in the Web3 game are not necessarily using the principles that already were written in blood in Web2 game. You know, so stuff that used to work in Web2 is still relevant in the web free game uh, very often. You know, we are still human beings. The fact that we label it, label it differently and we have like a dark mode uh, design and we have a, a few buzzwords, it doesn't really change the fact that we still need to manipulate, quote unquote, human beings to doing what we would like them to do. And when I say manipulation, I'm not necessarily doing, saying in a negative way. I'm just saying this is what marketing is, manipulating positive, negative, you decide. Yeah, it depending, of course, on the, the choice of words. And actually, it's also interesting because of marketing fundamentals, you know, in Web 1, Web 2, Web 3, they, they, they stay important. Um, you mentioned Twitter. Now you are in Web 3. Web tw Twitter is Web 2. Mm -hmm. But I see all these Web 3 companies, they, they need to use Web 2 strategies, mm -hmm. you know, for their Web 3 businesses, right? Because they need to get... Uh, you know, reach at scale the audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. So this is, I think that a lot of web-free marketers, especially the younger ones, they are really focused on building a community, which is great. And community is very powerful. Uh, and they go to the Discord and try to create like the cool stuff. But uh, as you said, the fundamentals are the most important thing. So 
still you probably will need capital to put your product in front of people. You will need to go uh, create backlinks with podcasts, you know, a YouTube channel. These are all stuff that you can't avoid doing. And man, many people think that if they build it, it will come. And if they build a community, it will solve everything. But I think it's a community is just something that can amplify your uh, efforts. And your efforts should be the same if you're doing web three, web two, or web one. It's still marketing. You still need to give people what they want or things that they need and put the product or the offer in front of them. Right. And of course, also it's important in marketing and even more in Web3, it's evolving so fast, you know, to keep up to date with everything that is changing. I know for you, personal development is important. How do you keep up to date with everything that's happening and how do you, do you challenge yourself, you know, to yeah. implement all of these, these things? So, I think, th and this might be like a surprising answer, but one of the best ways that I keep myself, I think, at the moment, that helps me stay updated is by actually eliminating most of, most of the stuff that I consume. So for me, instead of reading a lot of new books, I just read like the same. I have like five books that I keep on going back to frequently. So it's the Almanac by Naval Ravikant or Dan Kennedy Workshop or anti-fragile by Nassim Taleb. So when I go back to the, these fundamentals, it actually clears a lot of time for me uh, to study and keep and being updated. And one of the things that I really learned how to use uh, during the, the NFT, the, the project, is using GitHub. And since then, I've been using okay. GitHub very often. At least once a week, I go and I see what is trending, what are like the most uh, trending repositories. And I see what are people doing because I believe that GitHub is, is the bleeding edge of technology. It, uh, open source and what is going in GitHub has like, is like you, you're in the forefront. I'm considering trying to dive into the Reddit game. Are you in, in Reddit? Do you feel that Reddit is valuable from this perspective? It probably is also, you know, one of the channels there. As you know, there are so exactly. many challenges. So channels, sorry, maybe challenges also, uh, you know, Reddit, they are also doing interesting things. I'm in Belgium and Reddit is less a thing here than for instance in the US, but I'm there, but I say more passively. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I think lately mostly being on GitHub and I have a few people on YouTube that I follow and I don't go into discovery mode. I just have a few people that I subscribe you to, and I believe that they cover enough of what I need. But mostly reduction of consumption and just building on my own. I think this is the key to moving forward. Right. You know, uh, because there are always shiny objects, Yaron, like now Instagram has threads. Exactly. So I am on Twitter. <laughs> you know, everyone is now talking about threads now as a new shiny object or shiny thing. Oh, you need to be there. Even Gary V says mm -hmm. it. <laughs> but no, and even I'm in the EU. So actually we are not supposed to have access, but that's a new thing. So I am not on it yet. I don't know if I will have an account. So I use LinkedIn, Twitter. I focus on these platforms like to get my contacts. Mm -hmm. Is this also for you for social media? Are you also focusing? Do you use social media? And if you use it, are you focusing also on one of the platforms? Yeah, so I'm mostly focused on LinkedIn. Okay. Just because I, I think it's, to be honest, I like the automations over there. <laughs> so I'm just able to scale what I'm doing there pretty easily. And I feel that I'm less distracted. Like the other feeds, let's say Twitter and Facebook, they can suck you in pretty easily. Uh, it's very challenging to, to you know, stop scrolling. 
Uh, and in LinkedIn, I don't care so much about the feed. It's not so interesting in my opinion. So this is a good thing because I mainly use LinkedIn for networking, speaking with people, and I'm not you know, attracted by the feed so much. So this also allows me to pursue stuff and build stuff instead of just consuming. So this is why I'm focused on LinkedIn. Right. Yeah, I have the same feeling as you on LinkedIn. So there is like, you're not like addicted mm-hmm. to it that much, but it's more for networking. On the other side, I'm also, you know, have a TikTok account and I consume also a bit of TikTok content. That's really made, you know, to keep on the platform. Yeah. So if, because I, I also watch this web three, uh, people talking about it and actually you need to be careful to be limiting your time on those. Sure. So Yaron, of course, we talked a bit about what you have already done, but I'm also interested, but are you doing today? Are there some exciting projects or initiatives that you're working on that you like to talk yeah, about? So I'm currently more in, I, I, I provide the media buying services. I have a few companies that I'm helping them with regards to marketing initiatives and strategy. And in the meantime, I, I, I keep on evolving. I really enjoy building stuff. I realized in this project that I re- really missed building. Like before in the dropshipping store, it was, I wouldn't say autopilot, but it was mostly marketing. Once we had the product and we had the operation running, it was mostly marketing. And now since uh, the NFT project, I realized that I like doing like engineering because I'm an engineer and funny enough, I, I like this. <laughs> so I'm also building a lot of stuff on my spare time. Yeah, so I'm more interested in indie hackers game and like building small niche stuff. I'm not so keen on taking over the world at the moment. Uh, so this is mainly what I'm focused on, like building stuff that is useful while keeping my customers happy and, and growing their business as well. Okay. And if there would be one advice that you would give to people like you entering the Web3 space and want to build something and want to be active there and, and build a business, whether it be an e-commerce store or something else, what would be your advice? I think I already mentioned this. I think it's all about velocity. At the end of the day, it's all about the speed of, of creation and testing and getting feedback. And it's very easy to overlook this, especially when you're just starting out. You want everything to be perfect and you're afraid of what will people say. And you want everything to be just in the right spot because this is your dream coming true. But it's never like this. I had I built so many projects and... Most of the projects that I thought would fail and some of the projects that I thought that would succeed, only like a fraction succeeded. So you never know what would what would work. So you must just start building, creating and, and putting yourself out there and getting feedback. Yaron, you don't this is really useful for some of the, the, the companies or the entrepreneurs that I'm talking to these days because I'm a fractional CMO for Web3 companies and most of them, they like to build and continue building and building and building. As you say, it's about velocity at certain moment. You want to get feedback, yeah. you know, your, your solution. You want to get it out there and get feedback and continue to improve. So this is a really a good advice of the end of this podcast episode. Uh, Jaron, if people want to connect with you, yeah, you mentioned already LinkedIn. Is LinkedIn the best place to connect with you or do you want to send them somewhere else? No, LinkedIn is great. Uh, once they visit my LinkedIn, they'll see my link tree. I have a book on Amazon and I have my own podcast. But uh, LinkedIn is, is definitely enough. Uh, as a call to action, it's, it's a good place to send people. Okay. There, is, there are always show notes. Yeah, on all, there is always an article linked to this podcast episode. So you'll be sure to mention your links over there. Thank you so much for sharing all your tips and your wisdom. I think there were some unexpected 
I would say, tips that you gave. So uh, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So guys, again, a really interesting episode with Jaron who shared some of his secrets. And if you think that what Jaron said is really interesting for people around you, be sure to share this episode with them. If you are not yet subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. And of course, I would like to see you back for the next podcast episode. Bye. Web3 can take your biz to new heights. And you're ready to harness its power, but feeling lost and overwhelmed? Therefore, join my W3X Web3 Mastermind. Send me a personal message for more info. You can find me everywhere on social media. There's only one person with my name, Yuri Bilast. Talk soon. Talk soon.